Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Good to ride Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating to the jam. It's kicks and bricks where we got game on the streets, and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What up, what up? Welcome to Kicks. Joining us today is my brother from from the crib, Jason Weaver. What's good, my bro? How you doing? What's going on, Jamel? I'm glad to be here, man. Thanks for having me on, brother. Man, no doubt, man. So um, you just got done filming a movie in Vancouver. Can you tell us a little bit about it? I actually didn't get through filming a movie in Vancouver. I, I recently just finished um, shooting season four of The Shy in, uh, in Chicago. So we're actually, we're actually in episode seven right now with that mm-hmm. show. We did 10 episodes. And so, yeah, I just completed that. I think uh, Yolanda Ross, who is in the shy with me, she just completed a film in Vancouver. <laughs> so like being from Chicago, how important was it to you that you brought like an, uh, an authentic voice to the show along with the other actors that are originally from Chicago? I mean, it was really, really important to me. I mean, as as most people know, whether you're from Chicago or being a Chicagoan is is something that those of us who were born and raised there were really proud about, especially Southsiders. And, you know, it's been very rare or there have been rare opportunities where people that are actually from Chicago and in particular Southsiders and Westsiders get an opportunity to tell a real story about what goes on there in the neighborhoods, what goes on in the communities, what goes on in people's everyday lives there. So for me, I was honored that, you know, Lena had reached back out to me because I was originally in the in the pilot of the shy many, many years ago, way before the series had even aired on Showtime. And unfortunately, at that time, the network had made a decision to kind of recast um, the whole show and bring in a new director and bring in like somewhat of a new writer's room and a whole nine. And they they rebuilt it and retooled it. And I wasn't able to go along for the ride between seasons one and three. So when Showtime and when uh, Hillman Grab Productions reached back out um, to present this very unique and beautiful opportunity to play the role of Shot in The Shy, I definitely jumped at the chance because, um, you know, I, I knew that it, it was just important for Chicagoans to see themselves in the show prior to season four, kind of like the overall consensus among Chicagoans that looked at the show, that were fans of the show, was like, no, nah, I love it, but I wish it was just more people from Chicago represented in it. So, you know, I think Lena really understood that. Well, she understood that from, from day one, but she had to make moves accordingly, you know, due to what the network wanted at the time. So when she got an opportunity to get back in the driver's seat 
and really craft and create the kind of show that she's always wanted to present to the viewing audience. Uh, it just made sense to, to, to bring Chicagoans in and help her tell the story. So I'm, again, I'm very honored to be a part of the show and I'm glad that uh, it's resonating so well, not only with people you know around the country and around the world who've seen it, but particularly in the city of Chicago, our hometown, for sure. What type of character were you set to play before they recast the show? I actually was uh, cast originally for the role of Ronnie. And people know Ronnie now, the character, the way it's situated or the way that it was presented was like he was a very conflicted, you know, character. He was a, a, a Marine veteran, a war veteran uh, who came home, who was dealing with like alcoholism and dealing with um, a lot of um, issues that he dealt with in the past of like not knowing his father and the whole nine you know, coming back and, and killing this kid, Coogie, uh, you know, who he thought killed his son or what he thought was his son, Jason. So the character that was presented on television was a totally different character than the one that I played in the pilot. The Ronnie that I played in the shy pilot was a lot younger, um, obviously. He was way more street. It was he, he was more of like a street cat versus a troubled individual who was dealing with uh, chemical dependency or substance abuse issues. So um, I think that was the, the the story that that Showtime eventually ran with and went with, I think was the story that they wanted to tell. Uh, ultimately, um, it was probably the best decision that they made because it allowed the show to kind of evolve and grow uh, through these characters that that they had built up. And, uh, and then it gave me room or allowed an entryway for me to come through with this new character shot, which um, I think honestly is a better character for me to, to play. It's allowed me as an actor to display more range and allowed me uh, also as an actor to help tell a more, I think, interesting and compelling story. Because my character is, you know, just coming out of prison, doing a bid for his man, uh, Trig, who's played by Luke James. And then I come into their household, him and his girlfriend's household, Imani, uh, and unbeknownst to me at the time, I, I don't know that she's a transgender woman. So, um, you know, we cover the issue not only of uh, defunding the police and the criminal justice system, but we also uh, with, with, with um, issues that directly affect our community as well as like homophobia and transphobia. Like we touch on all that stuff, too. Like we're touching on a lot of different things this season. So if uh, people out there haven't seen the show, haven't seen the shy and particularly haven't seen season four, Make sure y'all tap in with us for real, because it's really good this season. Can you talk about the importance of like developing the on-screen chemistry with somebody like Luke James? Because for the most part, you, like you share the majority of your scenes with him and right. Imani. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very important uh, for the actors, you know, especially with us, the kind of story that we're telling. Um, it was very, very important for us to actually get to know one another and to be comfortable with one another. Because a lot of the scenes that we were uh, doing together were like, you know, really intense and really like emotionally driven. And again, we're tackling subject matter that's like really, really polarizing to, to, to a lot of people. So we had to really have a, a genuine chemistry with one another so that we were able to tell these stories. And, and convey these messages over to the viewing audience to where they were believable and they were rooted in authenticity. So nah, me and Luke, we definitely got a chance to, to hang out a lot and to talk a lot 
you know, about our roles and, and the approach that we were going to take, not only individually as actors, but also collectively. I also got a chance to get really, really cool and form a great relationship with Jasmine Davis, who plays Imani, who plays Trigg's girlfriend, because a lot of our scenes together are very contentious and very, what's perceived at the time as being very negative and very confrontational. And so in order for she and I to be able to pull that off, you know, in a believable sense, we had to really be comfortable with one another and actually get to know one another. And I'm so glad that we did because working with Jasmine and Luke uh, has actually been one of the more rewarding experiences of my career because they're both two phenomenal actors and uh, two phenomenal people, great people. So, you know, these are these are two people that I actually are, you know, still hang out with and speak to during the off season. So that just goes to show you how well we hit it off during the season. Can you give us some background on your character? Like what exactly did you do to like end up in jail um, for 15 years or, or however long the bid was? Out of respect for, for Lena, because she doesn't want me to divulge too much of that, because that is going to come mm-hmm. out more over time. Basically, let me just say this about, about Shy and about what he has gone through as a character. It's, it's, it's a common story that has happened to a lot of African, young African-American men and women who are products of the community and who, you know, end up just kind of having to deal with these circumstances just due to the environment that they're in and, and maybe some of the people that they're around and some of the situations that they're thrust into that may be out of their control. And before you know it, you know, you're locked in the system or, you know, your name is moving around in a criminal criminal justice system and you having to go through that rigmarole. You know, the, the, the story of Shad is like many stories that exist on the south side and west side of Chicago. And I'm sure with you even uh, being able to, to relate as well with New Yorkers, young black men and women in New York, or young brown people in New York who deal with the same kind of issues. It's just circumstances, unfortunate circumstances uh, thrust him into that situation. But with all of that being said, that doesn't mean that Shad is a bad person. And I think that's the one thing that people are going to get to see um, in later episodes and maybe even, you know, next season, God willing, if we're given the opportunity. You know, a lot, a lot of these guys that you see that, that go through the criminal justice system that society may view or look at negatively, um, man, that, that's somebody's son. You know what I'm saying? It's somebody's father. Uh-huh. It's somebody's brother. It's somebody's cousin. At the end of the day, they're human beings. And even if a mistake has been made at one part of their lives, it doesn't mean that they can't reform and come back and really walk in their full purpur- their full purpose and meet their true potential. So I think the the message that I'm trying to convey r- with Rashad is is like, yeah, he's a street dude. He's from the South Side. He could get busy. He did a bid for his man and all of that. He has some ways about him, but at his core, he's a real dude. He's a solid dude. He's about his family. He's about his friends. And when it all boils down to it, um, he's going to be there for his family and his friends when they need him because he's a real one. You know what I'm saying? So I think people are going to be able to get a chance to um, really get to know Shot as episodes go on. And again, like even when I was touching on um, earlier, when I was talking about the subject of, of transphobia and homophobia, and how we deal with that as a community and how we talk about it and how we communicate with each other as a community. I think this role is also providing an opportunity for us as a black community to really, really sit down and talk about whatever issues people may have regarding that. 
Um, because, you know, Rashad's reaction to learning that Imani is a transgender woman is a common reaction uh, that most, and particularly black men have in a community where it's very like, you know, standoffish or uh, very like confrontational or trying to put, you know, this person in a box or trying to, you know, more or less separate themselves from that individual that they feel is walking the, the, the wrong kind of path or whatever, however you may view it. But what I think we've been able to successfully do in the show is, is to address that and then find a way where we could come back around full circle and where the viewing audience can see that, yeah, you know, although there are representatives of the LGBTQ community within the Black community, it doesn't mean that we have to alienate people. It doesn't mean that we have to isolate people. It doesn't mean that we have to demean people. It doesn't mean that we have to talk down to people. It doesn't mean that we have to be physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive towards people. At the end of the day, it's about the community coming together and all Black lives mattering. At the end of the day, if, if we're going to really push forward with this movement uh, that we're on as it relates to Black Lives Matter. So that's another message that, that we're looking to, to hopefully convey successfully over to the viewing audience. And hopefully the community will be able to, to, to see that and appreciate that and have deeper and more meaningful conversations amongst themselves and with their friends and with their family members. That was the whole point of it. We're not trying to push anything down anybody's throats. We're not trying to force anything on anybody. No, it's not that. All we're trying to do is open up the floor so that we can continue to have these, these dialogues within the community that I think ultimately will be very, very important for our overall growth and development and evolution as Black people in this country and as a community. While staying on the topic of trans, like um, going into the future for the shy, like where you see where Lena is kind of taking, you know, that storyline, like how is it going to, um, I'm trying to word this the right way so I won't offend yeah. anybody. No, no, no. Like, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, like, where do you see it? Like, what's her end game with it? Besides think, um, open up a dialogue and people being more accepting to them. I think that is the end game, respectfully, is is having a dialogue. Because let's be honest, you, you and I are both from the community. That's not really talked about. Nobody really wants to, to talk about um, the LGBTQ community. Nobody really wants to touch on the subject of homophobia and transphobia and things like that because, you know, people have their, their um, religious perspective on it, which I respect. Like, I'm not saying that anybody's wrong as far as how they view things or whatever, we're all individuals. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Everybody's upbringing is different. You know, black people aren't a monolith. So everybody thinks different and moves different. But I think the one thing that we really haven't done in the past is really sit down and discuss it. Really, really sit down and discuss it as a community. It, because in the past, whenever it's been brought up or whenever it's presented before us, it's just an automatic negative reaction, right? Like, oh, I don't want to hear about that. Oh, no, man, that's not me. Oh, no, I'm not with the rainbow shit. Like, oh, no, like, okay, and that's fine. But the one thing that I think a lot of us have come to understand is that we have close friends and we have family members and people that we love that are also representatives of that community who are feeling alienated, who are feeling isolated, who are being made to feel like they're just over there. Nobody's willing to discuss um what they go through in the day-to-day, -day, how they're feeling, what their experiences are or have been, whether, whether positive or negative, that's not really openly discussed within the Black community. 
But what I've realized now is with this show, and especially from the, the feedback that I get via social media, I get more comments, especially from Black women who are, who are telling me, you know, as far as my character is concerned, man, don't do nothing to Imani. You better not do nothing to Imani. <laughs> oh, all I know is Lena better not have you, you know, killing Imani or abusing her or hurting her. You know what I'm saying? So, so what it's doing, I think what the show is doing is it's allowing, uh, it's allowing our people to go, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> like Imani's cool people. Like she's a good person. She done welcomed you into her home. They threw you a welcome home party. She trying to help you get a job. And, and this is how you acted towards her, just based on the fact that she's a transgender woman. And I and honestly, I didn't think that the, the community was going to react like that. I thought the community, um, you know, kind of forecasting how they were going to view it. I thought they were going to view it more negatively. I thought people were going to have more of like a, yeah, that's right. And yeah, you know, that's the right way to approach a shot. But in all actuality, uh, which has been very encouraging to see, let me say that. Um, man, the community is really spoken out. And there's even some brothers, even some black men, it's like, hey, man, you know, that may not necessarily be my cup of tea, and that may not necessarily be my walk in life and where I want to go. But hey, you know, everybody deserves to live their life the way that they want to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shoot, man, if that's what Trig want to do, man, your character should let him live, man. And you should just be 100 with your homeboy and stand by him. So, I mean, it, I think the end game for Lena at this stage is exactly that is for us to have, you know, some serious dialogue and some serious discussion about the role that members of the LGBTQ community play within the black community. And again, how we all need to just come together and be more accepting and more tolerant, if you will, of one another and, and embrace one another versus trying to separate people from one another and put people in groups or pe put people in boxes. That, that, th that's not something that I personally believe in. And I'm glad that I'm given the opportunity as an actor to be able to help establish that kind of dialogue through this role that I'm playing. Another issue that's prevalent in the shy is that ex-cons, when they get out of prison, they have limited job opportunities. Why do you think there's a hesitation surrounding um, ex-cons who did their time and like learn from their mistakes, but society won't let them move on? I think it's just a lack of understanding, a lack of compassion. You know, people make mistakes. And again, it's like what I touched on earlier, you know, and in particular in the, in the Black community, you know, a, a lot of people from the Black community come from humble beginnings. And a lot of people are doing what they're, what they're doing just to simply survive. It's not because that's what they want to do. It's not because they find joy out of criminal activity or doing things that could potentially land them in prison. A lot of these guys, these street guys that I know, that I've either, either grown up with or that I still know now, you know, these guys are taking penitentiary chances and making choices. Now, some of them are knuckleheads, true. So, some guys just like to do it. Some guys are just in the, you know, being a street cat. But a lot of the real street guys that I know, man, they don't want to do that, man. They're doing that because they're trying to put food on the table for their family. Or they're trying to create, you know, a, a, a better environment for themselves and for their families and to give themselves a leg up, a leg that they, they aren't able to get either from the education system or through support from the city or local government or from the state or from the federal government. You know, everybody's just trying to survive on their own. And what happens is when these guys get caught and they have to do a bid and they have to sit down, 
you know, these these are still the same guys that they were before they before they went into the prison. This is still somebody's son, somebody's uncle, somebody's cousin. But when they get out, because they have that, you know, that record now, you know, employers are hesitant because they're looking at it like, all right, well, I want to protect my business. I really don't know this gentleman like that, or I really don't know this woman like that. I'm basing everything that I'm basing it on based off of their, uh, based off of what they got locked up for. So, you know, with a lot of employers and I, and to a degree, I can understand because when you work hard and you build up a business or whatever, you don't want somebody coming in there and ruining it or stealing or anything like that. I get that. But there are a lot of guys and a lot of women that come out of prison that genuinely just want a second chance and they deserve to have a second chance. I'm a firm believer that once you do your time and you paid your debt to society and you're looking to re-enter into society, you should be given a second chance because all human beings make mistakes. Um, so what I would encourage, with all that being said, I can't tell employers how to hire or who to hire. That, that, that's not my right to do that because it's their business. But what I would encourage employers to do is take a minute to look inside of yourself if you ever are approached by somebody that's just coming out of the system and re-entering into society. Ask yourself this question. If the shoe was on the other foot, would you want somebody to give you a second chance? Have you in life when you've made mistakes, has someone ever given you a second chance? So I think when you put yourself in that person's position and with their circumstances and you view it from their angle, um, I think people will become more understanding uh, and more willing and compliant to to, hella, uh, to hire uh, ex-convicts or, or inmates or what, or what have you, or ex-felons. But I think that you know, at the end of the day, everybody deserves a chance. And I think that's another story that we're kind of successfully uh, sharing and conveying over to the studio audience or to the viewing audience is because I think with that scene in particular, when Rashad goes to get the job or attempts to get the job and gets turned down without even really being given a chance to show what he can do, the overall consensus that I gathered from the viewing audience that night via social media was that they felt bad for Shy because they could see that like at his core, like, man, he just, he probably just made a mistake, but this ain't a bad guy. Like he just needs a chance. So I think again, the shy is helping to maybe even open up those eyes and open up those minds of people who are closed minded or who had a, a certain kind of viewpoint as it, as it relates to ex felons. So I'm just, I'm hoping that even what we're doing with that, it can start a different kind of discussion and a dialogue. And again, open up people's minds and their eyes to the reality of, of what's going on in a lot of people's lives. Another thing about prison, say if somebody goes in at 20, mm -hmm. they come out, they do their 15 years or whatever, they're 35, 36. Yeah. But through their experiences, mentally, they're still 20 because they yeah. don't have the same exposure someone at their age should have. Like, right. do, you think that, do you think that this is something people in um, real life struggle with? And do you see like Rashad kind of struggling with this? Man, that's a great question, Jamil. Thank you for asking that. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, uh, I've had a few friends who have had to sit down for an extended period of time. And when they come out, it's, it's difficult for them to readjust to where society is at now. Because like you said, when they got locked up, they got locked up in a, a certain time, a certain kind of era. So, um, no, there are guys that I've had to kind of help re-enter to society. Like, no, nah, man, like, P 
people wearing this now. Like, man, put put on these jeans, man. Or, man, people rocking these shoes now. Like, hey, man, this is how people think now. It ain't like how it was. Like, you know, in particular when Shaq comes home and he tripping on Trig, being with a transgender woman. It's like, look, dog. It's like, man, it's 2020. You know what I'm saying? Like, things... <laughs> Things have changed, like things have evolved, people have evolved. And the way that we thought in the early 2000s and the late 90s is not how it is anymore. Um, but again, it's like when these guys get locked up in the system, you know, they're just, they're in that bubble. They're in that in that contained bubble where they, the only uh, reference that they have is like what they see on TV. And that's not really reality. So when these guys come home, you know, they 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 have to readjust. And that's something that, that shot definitely um, is experiencing in the show. I mean, even when you look at the clothes that he wears, uh, even when you look at, you know, his haircut, just the way that he presents himself, it's like he's not caught up yet. He's not caught up yet with the times and where things are. Because when you look at him in comparison to Trig, it's like, you know, Trig is kind of fashionable. He got his little Alexander McQueen sneakers on. He got on his fly shit. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's kind of doing their thing. But shot is still there trying to play catch up. So no, that's a very common thing that happens when um, when guys re-enter into society. But I think what we can all do as a community is again be understanding, be compassionate, and help those people that 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 need that help re-entering into society. Be patient. You know what I'm saying? Be patient with people um, because it is an adjustment. And I think that, um, you know, the, the more that we do that, you'll see um, a lesser rate of recidivism uh, with, with, mm-hmm. with comics going back or with individuals going back into the criminal justice system. Because a lot of the times when, when guys and women go back is because they feel like they're misunderstood. They can't get an opportunity. Okay, well, you know what? All I know is this thing. This is what I know to do. And this is what I know that's going to keep food in my mouth or keep food in my stomach or keep a roof over my head or keep me wearing all this fashionable shit that everybody says I need to be rocking. All right, well, then I'm going back to what, I do, what I'm what i doing it because they just haven't been made to feel like they're a part of society. And I think the more that we embrace people, you know, who are who are coming back out of the system, I think you'll, you'll a lot of people will be pleasantly surprised to see how many people really can successfully uh, adjust back into society if just shown love and compassion and understanding and and giving them a legitimate opportunity to get firmly uh firmly uh planted back on their own two feet so that's my personal opinion i could be wrong i could be wrong but with my experience of dealing with friends who have come out of prison that's what i've done and when i've had discussions with them later on after they fully readjusted and gotten back on track in their lives the one thing that they tell me man is hey man Thank you just for being there, man. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for the encouraging words. Thank you for praying with me. Man, thank you for taking me out to dinner that one time when we sat down and chopped it up and had a real conversation and you helped me see things differently in life. So I know it works because I've done it with cats that I know that have come home. And that whole readjustment for Shad, I didn't catch it until he was on that job interview talking yeah. about Radio Shack. And then that's when yeah. it clicked to me. Because yeah. Radio Shack hasn't been around in since like 2008, maybe. Exactly. And and on his resume, yeah. I think when he worked at Radio Shack, it was back in 02. So that was his point of reference. You know what I'm saying? For mm-hmm. everything. It's like what happened in 02. 
everything after that is like he's been locked up. You know what I'm saying? So again, and, and I can't stress that enough to people, you know, who aren't that familiar with, with individuals that come out of the criminal justice system. You know, man, again, everybody deserves a second chance, man. Because you would want a second chance too if you made a mistake. And Thanks, um, and I just I just think that's what the character shot is able to to kind of successfully convey over to the viewing audience for sure. So before I let you go, we have to talk some hoops. And you've been talking a lot of shit about the Knicks, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what should be so what should be for us, man? Because we ain't do nothing could because we didn't do anything to you. No, no, y'all haven't, man. I got to give it to the Knicks. All y'all did was lay the groundwork for us to get these rings. And I love y'all for that. Shout out to Patrick Ewan. Shout out to John Stark. You know what I'm saying? Shout, shout out to everybody in the Knicks organization, past, present, and future. You know, no, what, what it is, what it is for us as Chicagoans, it's a friendly rival. You know, we're always referred to as the second city. We're always referred to as the little brother to New York. And, and everybody regards New York as the greatest city in the world. And me personally, I, th- I think it's an awesome city too. I lived in New York for a number of years. I lived in Brooklyn for about three or four years. And I lived in Harlem for, I think, another three years. So I love New York City. It's, it's one of my favorite cities in the world, actually. You know, but when it comes to sports and when it comes to basketball in particular, you know, everybody knows the garden is the Mecca. But when the Bulls come to the Mecca, we shut it down, at least during the Jordan era. We would come through, we would shut it down. You know, the, the back in the day in the 90s with the with the great wars and the rivalries between the Knicks and the Bulls, you know, it was contentious on the court, man. You know, those guys were hard fouling. It seemed like they was trying to break uh, MJ's neck all the time or trying to injure Scotty, trying to injure the boys. So it was like, you know, the, the Knicks, we just looked at as the little brother that picked on us until we could show that we could whoop his ass. And when we when we decided to get up and start whooping New York's ass, we whooped y'all's ass. And that's just all it was. But but again, I love the Knicks. Like I I I think that the history and the pageantry surrounding the organization, uh, I think if you're a sports fan, you 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 can't help but to respect it. Uh, you know, when you go to the garden, it's a feeling unlike any other. Um, I can honestly say that as somebody that grew up in the Chicago Stadium and the United Center. Is I, I went to the forum with Magic and played like the Garden is its mm-hmm. own is its own thing. It's very very special. Um, so to all my New York Knicks fans out there, you know I love y'all, but we the best. We the best team ever assembled. Y'all can say all day. Oh, but Michael Jordan was born in Brooklyn. Okay, okay. Yep, he was though. That's another. Born fact, in Brooklyn. Like... He, he was born in Brooklyn. I I, I give y'all that. But when it, when it all went down in the 90s, we were the cream that rose to the top when it was supposed to be y'all's era. And, you know, and we just take pride in that. It's just friendly competition. And uh, what I will say is moving forward with the Knicks, I, I hope that you all do eventually, uh, you know, get a championship again because the Knicks fans want it. it it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard being a Knicks fan because you're, you're you're in a in a huge metropolis like New York, which has everything, everything but a winning basketball team. So I I hope that you guys get it. Y'all y'all have my boy D Rose over there for a minute. Is he still with y'all? Yeah, he's D still, still here with driving. Y'all? Yeah, we okay. St- we still got D Rose, Tibbs, um, Taj Gibson. 
yeah, so y'all pretty much got our squad. Pretty got much. Our squad. We, yeah, we lent y'all our squad. We gave y'all our <laughs> golden boy. We gave y'all our hometown hero. Y'all got uh, Taj, who was clutch for us. Shout out to Taj. Shout out to D Rose. Shout out to Coach Tiz. I mean, y'all y'all got the Bulls. No, so y'all should be happy. Taj is, but Taj is from Brooklyn, though, so y'all can't really claim him, though. That's true. That is very true. But he's he's actually one of my favorite hoopers too, man. Todd gives me man, he can go. Like when he played for us, man, he he was clutch. So shout out to him. And definitely if, if D Rose happens to see this, man, shout out to D Rose, one of Simeon High School's own, Southside's own. Man, we love you, D Rose. He's a hero back home. You know what I'm saying? And it's so good to see him continue to play, uh, you know, even past the injuries that he's had to endure. You know, he's recovered, rehabilitated, and, and come back seemingly at times even stronger mentally mentally and physically. So shout out to D. Rose, man. Much love. You know, what's going on with your Bulls? I kind of have my eye on Zach Levine a little bit. He's a guy that would look pretty good playing on the MSG Hardwood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know what? We're going to be all right. We, Zach, Zach was moving right um, during all regular season. It's just, man, leading up to the postseason, we just kind of dismantled. Um, I think it just has to do with we got to put some more some more pieces around Zach that would, you know, kind of complement his game because he's a dominant player. I mean, that's obvious. Like, you know, you, you see him score, you know, relentlessly. Like when he has to get the ball and drive to the hoop and get it done, he gets it done. But I think there needs to be some more pieces uh, placed around him. There may be may need to be some adjustments made um, in in the coaching, um, but you know Chicago is still in a building period, uh, and and we're one of those cities and we're one of those fan bases where we're willing to ride. I mean, I'm I'm a Cubs fan, so we have been losing since I was born, and nobody could tell me shit about the Cubs. You know what I'm saying? So when so when 16 rolled around, and we finally won the World Series. You know, I've been patiently waiting for it. I'm a faithful fan, and there it was. We're gonna do the same thing with the Bulls. You know, we gonna we gonna go through our go through the go through the uh, the hoops and the hurdles. We'll go through the heartbreaks. We'll go through the disappointments, but it's gonna come back around full circle one of these days. And you know, the oh, yeah, thing well. about and the thing about Chicago is, and Chicago fans and Chicago Bulls. I mean, we have time to wait. I mean, we were the greatest era in basketball period. So we can stand to wait. You know, we had an era. It was the golden era. Nobody's going to do it like that again. Like how Mike and Pippen and Pax and Kurt, everybody like Kukos did. Nobody's going to do it like us again. So we can let you guys, you know, let the other teams win. Shout out to Chris Paul. I want to see my man. I want to see the Suns win. You know what I'm saying? I remember back in the days with Charles Barkley and Dan Marley uh KJ is a good team you know what I'm saying Phoenix they were they were they were right there to where they could have won the championship but the only thing that stood in their way was us so you know now it's freed up now y'all can live you know what I'm saying so Phoenix go ahead and get your ring I hope that because what they leading two to one right now I hope that Phoenix can pull it out and I hope that Chris Paul can get a ring and uh, no, I'm I'm just a fan of the game overall. Period. So you know, although I'm diehard Chicago, I have respect for for um, every team 
and every player in the league because these guys are playing at a at a um, you know a professional level. They're putting their bodies out there every day. You know they're working out. They're they're doing all of the hard work and putting it down. I know I couldn't do it, so I commend and salute any and every NBA player, professional athlete out there. You know who's doing anything. I just I just have fun with it. I don't take any of it personal. So shout out to all y'all. If Chris Paul wins a title this year, I think that would like completely rewrite his own legacy because he was, because prior to this season, he was about to be mentioned with the Barclays and, and the Patrick Ewans of the world. But, yeah. now I, but now I think if he wins at least one this year, he'll be mentioned with the Isaiah Thomas, Thomas's another Chicago dude. Oh yeah. And so yeah. No, so uh, I think, no, I, I totally, I totally agree with you, Jamel. Like, you know, as a fan of Chris Paul's, it was heartbreaking for me to see him, you know, go through it every season and then being bounced around a different team, especially when he was in Houston. That was frustrating mm-hmm. to watch that. You know what I'm saying? Like with the relationship yeah. between him and James Harden. And it, that was that his was, best team too. That was his best team. Yeah. But it, it was like to, to, to know that all of the pieces like were, were around him and it could have happened, but it just didn't happen. You know, sometimes, man, and that 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 not, that not only goes for sports, but it goes for life. When it's your season, it's your season. And all you can really do as a person, as a human being, is just to always be prepared for whenever that blessing does eventually come. Because you never know when it's going to creep around the corner and smack you right in the face. And, and you want to be prepared for it. So I think, you know, the reason why I commend and salute Chris Paul the way that I do is because no matter what, like through injuries, uh, through... Um, you know, fans giving him hell or, or whatever the case may be through trades and a whole nine. Chris Paul comes to the court every day and he leaves it all out there and he gives you his best game and he's entertaining. He's a great team player and it's time for him to step up and hit those clutch shots like he does it. And that's why I think for a lot of us who are just basketball fans, period, we want to see him win. And mind you, I, I love Giannis and those guys. I love like Bobby Portis is up there in, in Milwaukee. Bobby was with us. He was one of my favorite players when he was uh, at the Bulls. So I respect those guys. Uh, but they're young, and, and they're going to get another chance. But, you know, CP3, you know, time is, time is ticking. And, you know, this is the, this is the time to, to get it now. So I, I sincerely wish him well. I would love to see him win a championship so that, like, him, D-Wade, LeBron, you know, all of those guys, um, when it comes to their particular class and when it, becomes to, when it comes to their – particular generation he'll have a seat at the table for sure and like out of those players i hope carmelo anthony he's not the only one with without a title when it's all said and done so like i kind of hope he goes to lakers or or like whoever's the title con, con who like whoever's the title contender after yeah. the offseason just so he can win a, a just so he can win a title i want i want to see Melo win too man Melo was one of my favorite players of all time and, and, I mean, everybody um, who watches the game of basketball and who loves the game of basketball know that Melo can play and knows that Melo is clutch. He just needs to be put in a situation where he could come in at times and he can complement, you know, the game, you know, whatever game that they play and whatever players are, like, featured and really ruling the court at that time. I don't think he does necessarily has to be thrust out in the front because he has gotten older, but, they like, he can play an important piece you know, to a team. And hopefully he will be put on a team where he can eventually get get a ring, man. Cause I, I don't want him to, you know, to be in that class of, of guys that, that didn't get a ring. To to be completely honest with you, 
Charles Barkley is one of my favorite players. And it still annoys me to this day that like he never got a ring because I was a fan of his when he was at the Sixers, but I became an even bigger fan when he played for Phoenix. Man, I saw how hard he would go every day on the court. And he was one of those guys that like, you know, put it all out on the line and wasn't afraid, was never intimidated. It just wasn't his time. Same with Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller is one of my favorite players of all time, but it just it just didn't click and like Reggie don't got a ring. So I don't want a guy like Melo, another guy that I, I regard as one of my favorite players of all time, you know, to have to sit at that table either. Cause I think he's deserving of of getting a ring. He's that much of a dominant and clutch player, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that the analytics and the geeks of the world, they had him out the league for two years, basically. And I'm glad he's kind of rewriting his own history right now. Absolutely. And I, I love it, too. And the thing about it is I'm always rooting for the underdog. And especially when you have, like, you know, these sports commentators and these writers who have never stepped on a field or never stepped on a court. You know what I'm saying? These guys are, like, mm-hmm. analyzing these gentlemen's games and kind of uh, dictating what's going to happen to them ahead of time. Like, I can't stand that, man. You know, sports critics are sports critics. They're there to critique the games. They're there to critique the players. I get it. But I think a lot more respect needs to be placed on some of these players' names because, you know, these guys are, are, you don't know the half of what these guys go through to get to the level where they're at playing professional sports. And so when these guys finally get there, after going through the trials and tribulations of everyday life and also going through the trials and tribulations of rising up through the ranks, you know, playing the game, it's like, man, nah, we, we got to start putting some more respect, you know, when it comes to these athletes, man, because, you know, they go through a lot and you don't know how that's affecting them. Even with the thing with Ben Simmons, you know, we all had jokes, you know, about Ben Simmons, his past, this, these past playoffs. But, you know, let's be honest. Can you do it? You know what I'm saying? Like, can can you go out on the court and play that amount of minutes? And mind you, he's a professional athlete. I talked to a lot of guys from Philly a lot. And they'll go, nah, but, yo, the young boy's getting paid to do that, man. He getting paid to shoot the shots. I get it. I get it. But let, let's just keep in mind that these are all young men. You know, these are human beings. These are athletes. These are games that they're playing. It's not the end of the world. You know what I mean? If if that player loses mm-hmm. or if he doesn't, if he doesn't match up to what you think his potential is at that particular time. Let's be more understanding when it comes to these guys. And I guarantee you, because I know a lot of professional athletes, the more that they know that they have encouragement and support around them, that builds up their confidence. And that makes them go out there and want to play harder because they know in the back of their mind that people believe in them. So that positive energy and that positive reinforcement, man, that means a lot to these players, especially these young players. So what I would just say to people is, I mean, you know, do your booing because I'm one of those guys too. I'm one of those guys in the stands that's booing and talking crazy. But I'm just doing it in all fun. You know what I'm saying? It's while I'm there at the game or while I'm looking at the game on TV. But when it comes down to the sacrifices that these guys make every day, um, you know, the, the, the physical challenges that they face every day, recovering from surgeries, recovering from injuries, you know, doing practices two-a-days, what have you that strain on your body and what these guys go through later on in life when they get older, where a lot of these guys can't hardly stand up straight or can't sleep comfortably because they got back issues and they got knee issues and they got neck issues. Like, come on, man, let's put, let's start putting some more respect on these guys' names and on their legacies and on their careers. 
And I think this is a nice ending note for us. Um, I want to thank you for joining me today. Um, for people my age, your TV shows, your movies were a part of my childhood. And it kind of feels like I grew up with you. And, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next from you. And I'm definitely looking forward to next season, Knicks, Knicks and Bulls. Oh, no, we're we going to have a ball. Well, first of all, Jamil, thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciate it, man, you taking the time to talk to me today. I thank you for the kind words as well. For everybody else out there who has followed my work and been fans of my work for the, for the many years that I've been in this business, I really, really appreciate y'all, man, because this isn't an easy, this isn't an easy business. Um, but it, it takes the encouragement and support from people like yourself, Jamil, and many others who, whether they, they see me on the street or whether they hit me up on social media, your kind words and your support mean a lot. So that being said, if, you, if any of y'all out there want to, you know, hit me up or chop it up with me from time to time or follow me or whatever on social media, you can follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at it's Jason Weaver, I-T-S Jason Weaver. Um, like what Jamil was telling y'all, I, I talk a lot about sports on there because I'm a sports guy. If you're a Knicks fan, you're going to be mad with me a couple of times every once in a while. But for the most part, we have fun on my page, man. And, and I look forward to next season as well, Jamil. I see you. And tell Spike Lee if you run into him too. Them orange and blue skies he was talking about, they better not be great next season. Y'all, y'all boys better step up to the plate next season. Because y'all still got R.J. Barrett over there, right? Y'all still got the young boy over there, right? Yes, sir. Next year, we win in 55 games. We'll see. We'll see. Let's go. I mean, you got to claim it. Go on and claim it. Because I can't, I can't really talk nothing right now with my Bulls looking the way that we looking. I'm just hoping that I don't be crying after every game. I, I just, I just want to see, like, some good, solid team basketball next season. Um, I want to see some adjustments in coaching. I want to see some pieces put around Zach. And if I can get that, I'll be happy. And if I can beat y'all a couple times, I'll be happy. I'll be happy. So we'll see how it goes, Jamil. All right, man. I appreciate you, bro. Thank you so much, Jamil. I appreciate you, man.